Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from a spot about as far <laughs> as it could be from our at-home studio where we have made our last two podcasts. Yes. Last month we were uh, slightly under the weather. Well, we were under the influence of alcohol is really what it was. And this month we're under the influence of... Jet lag. Jet lag. Because it was just a few days ago that we left home on our travels to Africa. We should start by saying that this is the RV Navigator episode 214. Uh, We think we're making it for the month of February 2023. (laughs) We never quite know. We're sitting in a beautiful spot where we not only are jet lagged, but we have all these cute little Birds. birds with bright colors twerping around us. Welcome to Africa. Wow, I see two. Very nice look. Oh, we, I have we, to get my camera here. We might have to pause while I... Oh, uh, we've left the cold pictures. weather and returned to summer. Two days that are 14 hours long, is yeah, that right? The sun sets. Bright sunshine, comfortable temperatures. Um, it's a beautiful thing. But, of course, it was a bit of an ordeal to get here <laughs> because South Africa is nowhere near Chicagoland. We, we took... First flight was... 13 hours, and then we had a a layover in Doha, Qatar, and then we took a 10-hour flight down to Cape Town. Now, that's 23 hours flying, Um, and as a rule, I consider every hour of flying to be a day's drive. So if we go to Florida... (laughs) It's three hours on the plane and about three days' drive. So it would have taken us a month to get here? That's what I'm about to say. (laughs) (laughs) So to go to New York would be a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour flight, and so that's about a two-day drive for us. And the West Coast would be four hours, and so about four or five days to fly to drive out there in the motorhome. So if we consider that as our standard, we are at a month to get here. If we were to drive, which but, of course you can't do. But despite this vast distance, we figure we've only come about seven time zones from home. Yeah. So as soon as we recover from all that flying, we might not be in that bad of shape because it's just like going to Europe. I hop and a skip well, o- eight over hours the is, Atlantic. Eight hours is a, is a little bit to overcome. But, of course, we have gone into the southern hemisphere, which means... <laughs> that it's summer. The sun is in the north. And... The sun still comes up in the east, but it's uh, an entirely different experience because we are in real summer and not just warm winter, which is what Florida is. We should mention that the route we took here was not the most direct. If you get out your globe and really pay attention to what we have just done, um, it's a lot of extra mileage. Uh, We try whenever we can to use the miles that we gather up on our credit card Uh to buy frequent flyer seats, business class if possible on such a long trip. And so we had to book this trip uh, last December, and this was the best choice available to us at that time. I'm still not saying it's a bad choice in terms of the experience, Uh but it did add to the length of the trip. Uh, We flew on Qatar Airways. Qatar might be familiar to you from the recent World Cup, and Doha is definitely farther east than we needed to go because we were 
more time zones yeah. away from yeah. home when we landed there. But this was counterbalanced by the fact that Qatar is a wonderful airline, one of the most highly rated ones in the world. And when you're in business class, people treat you right. And uh, not only <laughs> it's did hard not, hard not to, to like that. And not only was that pleasant, but during our lengthy 10-hour layover, uh, the business class lounge had two restaurants in it. Had a place where we could take a shower, a place where we could lay down and sleep. If only we had dared to. We were afraid we'd fall asleep. And miss the, the next plane, flight because yeah. it was at 2 a.m. And uh, even if we had come more directly, we would have arrived here in the middle of the night, and then there wouldn't have been a hotel room, or we would have had to pay for a hotel that we weren't really using for most of the night. It just is an awkward trip to plan. Always things to think about as you travel long distances. So even though it was grueling, I think um, I'm happy with what we experienced and I'm mm-hmm. glad that part of the trip is over. Yeah, and uh, using the miles on the credit card is really a good idea. As you probably remember, we have the Sapphire Reserve and we're not taking any uh, remuneration from them, but that card gives you three miles for every dollar spent on travel so that uh, our miles build up fairly quickly as we do cruise and safaris and other things so that means free flying and free flying is a is a real pleasure especially when you can put it towards business class so that's our story for that uh we arrived in cape town south africa which we've been to before and i want to refer you to the last time that we were in south africa in 2006 2006 and of course it was an rv trip and of course it was part of the RV Navigator podcast. Yep, it's there. It was one of the first trips that we did on the RV Navigator podcast. So I will try to put a link into the notes, uh, into the webpage for episode 214, uh, February 2023. And I will try to put a note in there uh a link to the podcast in case you have not listened to every episode of the RV Navigator podcast, which I can't imagine why you'd want to. But the last time we were here, we did an RV trip. You should also put in a link to my blog because I was blogging I then do. as well. Okay. Goes without saying. Yeah, and it's much easier to find on your blog anyway because it's much better organized. But on that trip, we rented an RV for about six weeks and we drove through many of the things that we're doing here uh, on a tour. So renting an RV in South Africa was an interesting experience because just like now, we went through all of the time zones and jet lag, but at the other end... We got a set of car keys and a, and a kiss goodbye, <laughs> and we drove off down the left-hand side of the road, driving in manual. Some of the people in our manual group... Manual stick shift. Some with, of the people in our group had never driven an RV before, which really blew my mind, and off we went. A diesel, which of course is a little bit different sort of engine, and we were on a tour, so there were about 20 rigs or so, mm-hmm. and I think this is something that you can still do, and if you're looking for an economical way to visit some of the, <laughs> this fairly exotic country, this is a, a good way of doing it. I think both adventure and fantasy caravans offer RV trips. And the nice thing, even as we're looking at it now, 
is that uh, we actually saw a lot on that trip as we look back on it. And you're always in more control of your schedule. And you're doing different things. I remember spending a lot of time buying groceries, which doesn't sound that exciting, but when you're in a country that's quite different from your own, it's a very interesting experience to see what food is available, to try to figure out what on earth biltong really is, <laughs> and, whether you would, and whether you would like to eat it. And here we are living high on the hog. We'll probably come home fatter than ever in beautiful uh, luxury hotel slash game houses. I don't know what to call where we are now. So we are pampered and well taken care of as opposed to taking care of ourselves like we did on the RV trip. Yeah, well, we had to cook for ourselves. We had to provide our own transportation. Do our own laundry. Although there was some uh, some nice uh, additions into that trip that that made it. It was a tour. It was a tour. And South Africa is very scenic. There are lots of interesting campgrounds, uh, places to see, in addition to the uh, the animals that uh, most people come to see. Uh, there's a wine area. There's the coastal area that is uh, very scenic. Picturesque. And well worth the drive. And we had a good time. And I, I don't think anybody in our group had an accident. <laughs> Well, one person drove well, under yes. a tree limb that they didn't recognize was piercing their roof. Yeah. That was the worst experience I remember. And we had a lot of grinding of gears. I think they had to ex- uh-huh. exchange a lot of <laughs> shifting um, equipment because people weren't used to doing that either. No, and we had monkeys try to get into our... Oh, you can hear that guy? Yeah, I hope they can hear it. I don't recognize that bird at all. Well, there's hardly anything here we recognize. So right now uh, we have uh, landed in in Cape Town and then we took a a short flight two hours north to Johannesburg. Cape Town is in the south westerly. On the sea. And it's very much of a Mediterranean climate. Very very close to where the Indian Ocean meets the Atlantic, right right at the bottom. Cape of Good Hope. Hope. And so now we are in Joburg, uh, which is at elevation yeah, over a mile we're high. Surprised at that, uh, a short flight up there, and from here we actually are joining our safari tour. So now, when we're kind of uh, a little late in making this podcast, although we'll hopefully <laughs> hit the airwaves at the right time, uh, we are we're delayed because we wanted to talk about our experiences on our first safari adventure. We on this trip we will be going to various safari parks where we will be doing game drives because uh, in the first part of this this tour Typically, when you're in a park like this, you get up early in the morning, in the dark, and do a game drive as the animals are waking up. Then you come back to the lodge, have a wonderful meal, take a nap, and then about four... No, no, you forgot lunch. Oh, yeah. I said have a wonderful meal. Well, you have two wonderful meals. You have breakfast Breakfast and then lunch. And then um, late in the afternoon, you do another game drive that lasts into darkness because that's when the animals are active again. So it sounds like a grueling uh, schedule in terms of how early we have to get out, but it really isn't because you have plenty of time to rest in the middle of the day. And these resorts have very nice facilities for you to use, Uh, usually swimming pools, and this one has archery and 
shooting and all sorts of other things. Because there are quite a few people here, I'm surprised. We're about a three and a half hour drive from Johannesburg, which is the primary capital of South Africa. So a lot of people might come here for a family vacation, locals. And then there seems to be an extraordinary number of Italian people who are here on some kind of a business junket who um, are very noisy. Almost as noisy as the beautiful birds that are careening around here. And this uh, hotel, or this game preserve, and when you pay, it's it's all-inclusive. So we get the game drives, we get the me, three meals a day, plus more uh, in the room. And this room is spectacular. We not only have this very nice balcony that we're sitting on, which we'll try to include a picture of, but we have an outdoor shower, which is cool, uh, with normal running water. And it's air-conditioned, even though we're in the middle of uh, nowhere and it's running off generator. And we it's just very luxurious, two sinks. and So we will be going to several of this type of uh, preserve. There are really the two kinds of animal viewing experiences in South Africa. Uh, you can either go to a national park, which is uh-huh. where we are now, whose purpose as much as to show you the animals is to protect the animals from you. So that means you, when you go on a game drive, you have to stay on the paved road or unpaved road. They call it having an African massage <laughs> when you're bouncing around on the rock and the mud. Or there are privately owned game viewing um, places, which we will visit hopefully as well, uh, where the rules are whatever the owner of that place wants them to be. And from our past experience in 2006, uh, you can read about us careening through the forest, driving over trees, not being very kind to the landscape, and being much more aggressive in terms of following the animals. So I would say if you're in a big hurry and you want to see the big five all in one morning, the private reserves are more efficient but this place is much more natural and Kruger National Park would be the primary example. Yeah, and we spent uh, last time about a week in Kruger National Park and Kruger National Park is as big as Connecticut so it's huge and you have no way of knowing where to really go to see the animals and if you see some you have to stay on the road. After that we spent three nights at a a private game preserve which was directly adjacent to to Kruger. We did not have to drive more than like 20 miles in order to get to it. And it was of the second variety that Martha mentioned. When we got there, they put us in Jeeps. And the the first day we saw... (laughs) There was a golf cart going by. I thought that was an elephant, it sounded like. (laughs) Uh, Which would not be unexpected. Um, The the game preserve uh, in the first day we saw the, the big five in the first night. So we were you get to see a lot more, and they can stay out at night. They get at the national parks, you have to be in by sunset or so, and you can't leave before sunrise. And, so, and you know that's a lot of what, what the animals are, are most active. And we were able to follow, <laughs> this is unbelievable to me, we were able to follow lions through the bush Hunting. that were on the hunt. And we would be using uh, floodlights, from the jeeps that would be shining on the animals as they were hunting and they they just paid no attention to us whatsoever we, we were They'd sitting be lying in, open in the road jeeps and we got so close to these hunting animals we could smell their breaths i will never forget it yeah 
So if you are going to one of these national parks or thinking about going to one of the big-name South African national parks, I would definitely go to one of the private reserves as a starting point. Another thing to think about if you ever come here is that you profit greatly from having a guide, Yes. Um, no matter where you are. When we were in Kruger in our little RV, uh, working our way through the park, we never made it through that whole big park, you didn't know where to go, you didn't know where the animals hung out. Whereas here, where you're with a guide who does this every day, twice a day, they know where the animals have been yesterday and probably where they would like to hang out tomorrow, and they're much more effective at bringing you to a spot where animals might be. Not only that, but because they have radios, they can talk among the various guides, and they can find where... Where, where the others have spotted the animals. And, of course, they have great delight in misdirecting the cars, the private cars that are driving through the park, as they told us this morning. You know. Did they? Oh, she I talked about, oh, she talked about that. She's talked about they have great delight <laughs> in misdirecting those of us who might be just driving through the park like we were in Kruger. Uh, and, you know, you'd stop and talk briefly to somebody and they would say, oh, down to the road here, turn left. And, and they would be giving you bad directions. Yeah, we didn't mention that this national park, I think all of them, you can come in with your own private vehicle. Yeah, that's um, the national park. And just park, do right. it on your own as we did it with the RV. And another advantage to being in the setup that we're in is we are in large trucks and sitting up high. Yeah. Because the grass here grows about four feet feet tall and it's very easy for a lion or most any little animal to hide in that grass and you would even the elephants them at all. so um, being in the right kind of vehicle i think is important too if you ever want to come our other trip was in october and that's probably a better time to be here because it's uh before the rainy season begins and we are now here as you can guess in february and we are in the middle of the rainy season. Now, rainy season doesn't mean that it rains all the time, but it does mean that everything is growing and it is green. So not only do the animals not really uh, have need to congregate to find water water or or something something like that, but they also uh, are well hidden by green vegetation. So I don't know. They always say it's there's always something to see, and we have been fairly lucky so far. Yeah, well, we're just beginning. So, and, and, of course, another reason to come this time of year is all the babies have just been born, but when you're looking at four-foot-tall grass trying to see those babies, yeah. that's a challenge. So we've had two game drives, and so far we have seen multiple elephants, multiple lions, Tons of a flashing back up a jaguar, of a cheap, and we've no, seen rhinoceros jaguar. up close, jaguar. jaguar up close. Yeah, rhinos, which we keep reading about being so rare, but well, this, this park, park they're um, mm-hmm. doing a good job of protecting them. This morning, when we headed out in the dark, we saw humongous <laughs> flashes of lightning, which told us what we were in for. But every so often, you would also see a flash that had nothing to do with lightning, because all these parks are protected from poachers as best they can. And so they have hidden cameras here and there that take a picture. It's kind of like traffic cameras at home. So some of the flashes were not lightning. They were poacher protection cameras. This park has a lot of rhinos. (laughs) And it's hard to believe that people come into the park and poach rhinoceros, meaning they kill them. And the only thing they want is the horn on the top of their nose. So what they've been doing here in this park is they have been... Like cutting their fingernails, only it's the horn that they're removing. Anesthetize the animal, cut it off, 
Cut off the horn. And that makes it not appealing to the poacher because so the that's poachers what won't they want to take. Boy. But like fingernails, horns do grow back, so every so often you have to do it to the poor male animal again. And rhinoceros use those horns primarily for fighting with each other, and since they can't fight in the way that they're used to, they nobody wins and they just keep fighting, fighting, fighting is what they told us. So it's it's hard on the animal either way. Yeah, it's just too bad there has to be this kind of poaching. People are so stupid. Yeah, and, and they talked about all of the different animal parts that were used for medicinal purposes, and that it's just totally unscientific. Or sexual enhancement. Well, well whatever, yes. I'll let that topic go at the moment, but uh, from here, we go back to, to Johannesburg, and we spend a couple of days there doing some of the Mandela type of things uh, and seeing that city. And then we head off to Kruger and we will be spending the next uh, three weeks or so doing uh, every three days we switch to a different park uh, where we do the game drives. And so we're going to be doing a lot of 5.30 a.m. arisals and then the schedule of uh, What's an middle of the day. An arisal? <laughs> You don't arise, <laughs> and we haven't. We aren't going to be talking about what I remember very vividly from our last experience here. Is that the people here are very interesting too, and when you take a tour, you are more likely to be able to be in on a performance or a meal uh, with the locals. There are eleven different tribes in South Africa who all speak different languages and have unique cultures, which is fun to see and learn about as well. Although everybody seems to speak. English so that we can easily talk to them. Yes. And but all of a sudden when they're talking among themselves they'll launch off into Afrikaans or something else something that I don't we understand. Don't so that uh, it's easy to get around in South Africa driving even to be, I mean you can go to a gas station and and get service and that sort of stuff. So it's it's a pretty safe place to to visit i think from the nasty apartheid days they got a pretty good infrastructure put in by the afrikaans the ex-dutch people who ran this place and so compared to the rest of africa it's just easier for a westerner to manage so other than being a long long way away it is a decent tourist destination and tons of uh, europeans come here and there's Tourism is a, is a big industry, so you'd feel quite comfortable at all of the resorts and other uh, attractions. <laughs> the one thing that that is really holding them down is this rolling blackout, which we experienced several times. We arrived at our hotel in Johannesburg, and that's the biggest city in South Africa. We, first of all, had a blackout when we were in our room, and we didn't quite understand what happened. But it was only like 30 seconds long, and all the lights and things came back on. And, you know, that occasionally happens. And then we went down to dinner, and it happened again. And then we walked outside, and the, they have a huge generator, and it was running and we talked to one of the personnel out there, and, and he said, oh, this is a rolling blackout. And they have a schedule about when the power is going to be on or off. Which they may or may not follow. And that everybody in the country is having these rolling blackouts. And what that means is you might lose your power for four or five hours total per day. And especially inconvenient if you don't know when exactly it's coming. You have to worry about putting food in your freezer. Uh, businessmen have to worry about uh, running their business. Hotels have to manage to worry about elevators failing midstream if they haven't got their generator going. The 
has forced more and more locals to buy their own private generators, which is very inefficient compared to just having a decent power grid. And uh, we've heard various stories. One is that a lot of the money that was supposed to be going toward maintaining the infrastructure here has slipped into politicians' pockets, which is a problem pretty prevalent all over Africa, I would say. And things have not been maintained properly. They have a nuclear plant that's only half going that does half of the... Well, because it's so old, too. And they haven't kept it up. Kept it running longer than it's plant maintenance. They, they protect many things here with electrified fences, which is also <laughs> a problem when you have no electricity. They put up a pretty uh, extensive net of solar-powered traffic lights, so that the, that at least works when you're driving around town. But on our way here... There were some places that didn't have them. And, so, and then there was a sign that warned you to be careful about smash and grabs because while you're paused there in this clog uh, of traffic, somebody can come and smash in your windshield and take your stuff. So this is definitely, it's not getting shot by an assault rifle, but it's definitely daunting and, for and, the locals and, and for tourists. And not having a stable power supply just means that everything in the economy is affected. And we experienced... At a major intersection, the stoplight was out, and so it turned into a four-way stop. Well, it worked, but the traffic backup was huge, as you can imagine. And, you know, this goes on all over the city. And our guide said that uh, she has a a battery-powered inverter, which is recharged when the power is on for her refrigerator and for her basic stuff in her house, because she can't rely on it, and the power is likely to be out at least eight hours a day and sometimes more. So, wow, this is a a major drag on their economy, would be my guess. Anyway. So then one of our fellow passengers said, gee, do you guys have electric cars here? (laughs) We all laughed. (laughs) That would be a problem. You you bring it home at night, you plug it in, you can't can't recharge your car. (sighs) You you know, we, we have to appreciate what we have at home, I guess. And even at home, we know how painful it is when you have a, yeah. a but hurricane I mean, or a bad snowstorm yeah. or whatever takes down But there's your a power. reason, and it's... Forest fires, yeah. um, but it's not chronic and endemic like and it is And these people here. in California are, are suffering from rolling blackouts, too. Well. So I'm not, I'm not sure they have an app, though. That, that's cool. That tells you when you're going to lose power. Maybe. Assuming that you have your phone charged yeah. so that you can look at the app. Oh, boy. Oy. So we do want to talk about a few things uh, in the other outside world, don't we? Well, yes. While we were at home, uh, the news was full of all of this, um, to us, new development of artificial intelligence taking over the world of writing. And people were quite consternated about (laughs) what it meant and were were all the people who make their living writing going to be put out of work just like people in other fields have been eliminated by technology. Um, How good was the writing? How well did it work? Uh, How could you tell uh, writing that a human being wrote from a writing that a person wrote and this was about the time that I was beginning to start my next blog for this trip and so I had fun experimenting with the website called chat GPT 
and it has a web address. And it's free. Have on there. And you can have it write stuff. And it, it's quite popular right now because I'm certainly not the only one doing this, and you uh, sometimes have to wait a bit to get on because it is so popular, but you just do a, a simple account with your email and your username like you do for anything else, and, and away you go. So my first experience with this, I took a paragraph I had already written uh, to put on my blog for South Africa, and um, I asked it to make my writing more humorous. So I'm going to read to you what I originally wrote. Since, not very humorous. Since the holidays ended, we keep running into friends and neighbors who ask us why we are still here. They say we are usually gone by now, and they are right. But this winter we're doing something special that will leave our motorhome sitting lonely in the parking lot and us returning to summer after a 32-hour flight. It's been good for us to experience the cold, dreary weather once again, the first time since we retired. Florida is often so lovely when we are there in the winter, I sometimes ponder moving there. But there are many things about Florida that I do not like, especially the high humidity. So then I return to the idea of keeping our Illinois home even when we can no longer zoom around the world. Now I am wavering once again. So that was my original writing. Now you're going to hear a more humorous version done by artificial intelligence. <laughs> and read by me, which means it won't be very humorous. It'll be more humorous. Uh, looks like our motorhome will be feeling lonely this winter because we're not hitting the road, folks. Instead, we're taking a 32-hour flight to somewhere a little more tropical. But don't worry, we're not escaping the cold forever, just taking a little break from retirement life in Florida. It's been a while since we felt the chill of Illinois, and let me tell you, it's been a real hoot. I mean, who needs high humidity when you can have freezing temperatures and dreary weather? But seriously, we are still on the fence about where to call home. Florida is great, but Illinois is always a spe have a special place in our hearts. So for now, we'll just w have to wait and see where the wind or the weather takes us. That actually did a decent job. There was a, there's a spot in there where I was waiting for a drum roll. <laughs> seriously, <I'd>, folks. <laughs> And I should add that this was written by the computer in about 30 seconds. Well, on you my had writing. quite a, a prompt, but I mean, you could just type it in. And the nice thing about Chat GPT is that it is interactive. So you can say, rewrite this paragraph, but make it a little more humorous. Or you rewrite or this. In the style of. In the style of. If you haven't gotten a account, it's free, and you might want to give it a try if you do any sort of writing at all, because it's a, a quite an interesting way of doing this. Now, as ex-teachers, especially in my case, ex-English teachers, we are quite consternated at the thought that we would be asked to evaluate students' writing and to determine whether it was written by a computer or written by the student. Yeah. Now, with with currently, you probably know how your students write, and you might be able to tell the difference. But down the road, when a new student comes into your classroom, you have no idea what kind of a writer they are. So the other thing I did with these two paragraphs Ooh. we just read you is I ran them through another website which is meant to help teachers and educators determine the real from the AI and I'm happy to report <laughs> that this website correctly identified my writing as human created and the one that Ken read as an AI version of those same ideas so it's probably going to be an ever escalating war where one side is going to be more efficient and effective and the other side is 
going to struggle to identify that? I really think that this is going to be one of those things that's impacting us as much as the Internet has. Uh, I started using the Internet in 1994. I made my first web page in, in 1994, not realizing how the web was going to impact my life as, uh, as time progressed. And now uh, we look back on the Internet as, I mean, Everything is coming across the Internet. Everything is your information you get is from the Internet. So that has had a huge impact, and I think this is going to be one of the next big things, and that's uh, AI writing because it's doing a really good job as far as I can see it. I'm going to read one of the paragraphs, either the one that Martha wrote or the one that was uh, written by AI. So you can go to our website, and by the way, there will be links there that will take you to both the AI writing checker as well as the chat GPT also. So here's the paragraph. Talk about a Christmas Eve surprise. We arrived home to find our furnace had decided to take a vacation, leaving us with a rapidly cooling house and temperatures outside at bone-chilling minus 9. But we weren't going to let a little thing like a broken furnace ruin our holiday spirit. We rallied together and managed to hotwire the thing with the help of a midnight furnace repairman. But that was just the beginning of our adventure. Once the hardware stores opened, Ken was determined to install a new thermostat. But let's just say it was easier said than done. Hmm. With wires upon wires, all the same color, it was like trying to solve a puzzle blindfolded. But in the end, we persevered, and our house was warm and cozy just in time for New Year's Day. So, you don't know which article that was? So, is it live or is it Memorex? Those of you who are as old Does as we are... Does anybody remember that, that phrase? We'll be the only ones who know what that means. So, here's another version of that. We certainly did not enjoy returning home on Christmas Eve to a rapidly cooling house. The newish furnace would not turn on, and the temperature was negative 9 outside. It would be one and a half days before the holiday ended, and we could get help again. We roasted our furnace repairman out of bed at midnight, and he was able to counsel Ken on how to hotwire the furnace since it became clear that the thermostat was dead. Even after the hardware stores reopened and Ken was able to buy a new one, he could not install it correctly. There were so many wires, many the same color. Who knew? So, which one is the real one? And well, we ran it through the checker, and it came out with the correct answer, but you're going to have to go to the website to find out. Oh, <laughs> da, drama. Da, da, da. Here I am driving traffic to the website. And, of course, in this case that we're telling you about, I supplied material, which it revised. Uh, you can also use the chat GPT to write you an essay more or less from scratch. It yes. couldn't do that for me because I was writing about my life. Uh, but you can say, write me an essay about uh, visiting national parks in South Africa, which it will gladly do. Ken showed me a sample uh-huh. of that kind of an essay that just floored me. Um, it was written on a website that you might go to if you're doing research about whether you want to go RVing in Death Valley. And it, it was extolling the value of making a visit to this very hot and desolate sandy place to go fishing. And what it was referring to was the pupfish that do live in one little corner of the Death Valley National Park, which are at best two inches long, and why you would want
want to plan a fishing trip to Death Valley to go after the death the pupfish would boggle my mind. But if you don't know anything about Death Valley, well, how would you know that this was written not by all, it's, AI it, and totally not factual? It would factual? be highly illegal. You couldn't catch them. And it talked about the kind of tackle that you would need and all of the accoutrements that you'd need to go fishing in Death Valley National Park, probably one of the least... Hospitable to fishing. Well, <laughs> and the least possible places to go fishing in the world would be Death Valley. And here this article was written, and the AI just got it way wrong. So I don't know exactly how we how we fix this. Uh, I'm going to put a link to a couple of articles that uh, will help you evaluate this. And one of the articles is on CNET, which is a news, a technology news site. What are NSF fees and why do banks charge them? At the end of this article, it says, this is putting reporters out of business. This article was generated using automation technology and thoroughly edited and fact-checked by an editor on our editorial staff. Apparently, that is totally inaccurate. As the critical site from the Washington Post, a news site used AI to write articles. It was a journalistic disaster, and that's referring to the article that I just mentioned on CNET. So here's a criticism of the the article and uh, the article itself that you might want to uh, take a look at if this is a topic of, of interest to you. Of course, the chat GPT only gets its information from the Internet, and if the inter- information on the Internet is wrong, then it's going to get it wrong. Well, there's there's good and bad yes. information on the Internet. And, and thinking about the research we did to come here, which we knew little about, as opposed to reading that Death Valley article, which we knew quite a bit about because we camped there, it made us laugh because we knew better. Yeah. But when you don't know much about a topic and yeah. you're reading something that a, a robot wrote and nobody bothered to fact exactly. check it you're not going to know what's true at all this is very dismaying to me okay so let's move on to another topic uh, a listener question i love your podcast even though i don't have an rv hmm. i've recently retired and camped all over the northeast growing up however the thought of, of getting back into camping at this age seems daunting It would be interesting to hear your collective thoughts on how to test out RVing, short-term rental, from who? How would you start off? We're not the right people to ask. No, we've been camping so long. but we, I, We've camped our whole life, but, so we were always experimenting on what we liked and how we liked it. And But I think uh, doing a fair amount of research and reading and joining some of the Facebook groups, I know. A short-term rental probably would get you started. Start small. Do a couple of weekend trips around home. Uh, talk to friends. You know, do the research online because there's lots of resources. There are lots of books on Amazon that will get you started and will... Uh what well, about that guy you, you watch his video that's an RV salesman? Josh, the, the RV nerd at Bish's RV. Uh, of course, this guy is sponsored by a RV company. He sells RVs, so he, he has sells an RVs. But he provides you with lots of good information on uh, what to look for in an RV, plus the fact that he reviews and, and shares the review of the RVs that uh, are coming into their lot. I do have some... <laughs> I have some kind of bones to pick with him. Um, he has uh, an article. Uh, one of his, his YouTube episodes says, don't waste your time on these. And he talks about 10 things that uh, you should probably not spend your money on. 
Washer dryer. He says, no, never get a washer dryer. Which we don't agree with at all. But if you're only using your RV to do short weekendy kind of trips, you don't need a washer and a dryer because you're going to come home and do it at home. Yeah. Slide toppers. I wouldn't be without them. But he says, no, don't buy them because you can buy them anytime. Oh, no, don't buy it with your rig to begin with. Yeah, don't buy it with your rig. Yeah, because they sell new rigs, of course. Right. Slide supports, of course, you should never do that. Good black tank hose, of course, you should do that. Expensive black tank chemicals, well, we use Happy Camper and... uh, And we're Happy Campers. We've been Happy Campers with it, so... He has lots of interesting topics that he talks about, and, of course, his site, because it's on YouTube, is free. He He's prolific, puts out a lot of uh, information. information. So it, it's Josh the RV Nerd on YouTube, and I would take a, a, a glance at that. I, to me, it's one of the better uh, sites, although I'm not sure how much camping he really does, but he does have a in-depth knowledge of the uh, RVing world. And when I think of the RVs we rented, like the one we rented here in South Africa, because they are rentals, they're not usually very... Opulent. Um, they are Basic is the word. used hard because if you're going to rent out your equipment, you want to get as much money out of it as you can. They don't exactly give you what I would call a typical experience. Yeah. It just gives you a feel for it, I guess. Do you have a friend with an RV? I like having friends who have boats because I love being on a boat, but there's no way I want to mess with all the upkeep and responsibility of having one. Um, but friends who are RVers that you could tag along with would also give you an idea of what the experience would be like for you. And you had a line in there about at my age. Um, many people start RVing after they retire because sure. that's when they have time to do it. And maybe a And a lot of people just jump in. I mean, you read all the time about people who just jump in feet first and then they sell their RV. (laughs) (laughs) Some people, you don't know until you try it. Yeah, that's a real hard question. We wish we could be more helpful. Yeah. I also want to refer you to an article um, about the latest in satellite internet options. And it's interesting to note that SpaceX probably is not the only one to consider right now um, or in the near future. And our friends at uh, the RV Mobile Internet have a very nice uh, review of the industry from December 22. And it's well to me, if you're a technology guy, he talks about all of the different uh, options for satellite internet and and what's going on in the satellite internet world. I think that Starlink has had uh, five launches in this year, in January. So they are really going forward in making uh, satellite internet something that everybody can have uh, any place in the world. I read an article today about they're trying to infiltrate Iran so that those people can get more information that isn't driven by the mullahs because that country is up in arms as well. Well, I think we'll end it there. Good. I have some editing to do as a result of the, this conversation. And, and we want the 3,000 pictures, pictures you took today, you have to edit those too. <sighs> we had an elephant, it's a wonderful had thing. An elephant charging at us. Oh, we'll try to include a couple pictures of this uh, fabulous adventure. And as always, dear listener, even though we're on the road, we're more than happy to uh, communicate with you via email this time. Oh, I did want to update about uh, T-Mobile. <laughs> She has nothing to say. Uh, I wanted to update you about T-Mobile. It has worked as promised. So far. So far. It's been very handy to have uh, our own phone number as we travel. When you put a SIM, a local country SIM in, you get a phone number 
in the local country, so that you have to then just just mm-hmm. have, notify people who you have would to notify care to call people you. right uh, of the change in the phone number. Whereas this, our phone number from home just works, and this is very nice when you're doing travel with. Uh, on your own, and you have to m- communicate with people. It's nice to be in advance to tell them what your phone number is. Like, we had the issue with uh, our taxi driver not meeting us at the airport to pick us up, and I we had our own phone number which I gave to them from home, and they could uh, contact us that way with uh, a and change. Tell us and, what was up. And tell us what was up. So, if you're traveling on your own, it's really nice to have your home phone number that you have given them back in the United States because then they can contact you on that number. In my mind, the issue still will be because we're going to be away for a good two months. Will we at some point exhaust the data allotment? So I'm trying very hard to be thrifty, um, but it, I love using a phone for navigating because I'm always lost, and I'm afraid that I may run and out this of is, data because of and that. And this is the first time that you have had your phone so I could do active, it myself. Yes, other than doing Wi-Fi calling, which is okay, but it's not uh, usable when you're outside of Wi-Fi areas. And I should add that it's really too soon for me to say this, but my impression here in South Africa is that most of the Wi-Fi is pretty available and pretty good. More and more we're finding Wi-Fi to be very common and decent Wi-Fi, uh, even here. <laughs> I, don't think we have, I don't think we have cell phone service here, but we, but, do, have but we do have good Wi-Fi, so if we needed to call or something, it would be available. That's uh, a, a major change in the tourism industry. <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, we have uh, decent Wi-Fi, and I have no idea how we got it, but we do have good cell service, too, and T-Mobile has provided that, and so we've been pretty happy with that transition as of now, although... We have not gotten the bill. No. It's too soon <laughs> to say. I could have said this. Stay tuned for our final review. Yeah, but our old Verizon accounts, you had to let them know when you were going, and it cost you 10 bucks a day per phone. And so that was a, a major commitment, and this is not like cost it. us. That has this has not cost us anything extra. So in the coming month, we will be headed back to Cape Town, frankly, after uh, three weeks in the safari lands. And then we will be, by the next podcast episode, we will be on a cruise. Still in South Africa. Still in South Africa, which we'll be visiting some of the coastal cities of this uh, very large country, really. So with that... We hope to hear from you, dear listeners, and please keep in touch with us. And we appreciate you listening and downloading the podcast and keeping in touch. Asking and us your questions. Interest, asking us questions. All of those things are good. But now it's time. To for take a nap. nap. <laughs> Talk Wait. to you later. Bye for now. Bye.